This is Michael Moore, and this is Rumble. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast. I've been wanting to do this episode for uh, some time, but we had a bigger job to do in the last uh, number of months, and that was, of course, to get rid of Donald J. Trump. Now that it appears that that job has been uh, successfully uh, accomplished, I want to revisit something from earlier this year and revisit it along with my uh, fellow filmmakers. Uh, I executive produced a uh, documentary feature uh, this year called Planet of the Humans. And it uh, is a film that was written and directed by Jeff Gibbs and produced by Ozzy Center. And the three of us, but mostly Jeff, for the last decade or so, has poured his heart and soul into making this film, which I then debuted it on my Rumble YouTube channel back on the eve of Earth Day. It was the 50th anniversary of Earth Day this past April. And the film exploded in the first 24 hours. We couldn't believe how many people <laughs> were watching this film. This is Jeff's debut film. He has uh, been a uh, producer and a person who scored a number of my films, but a producer on a number of my films, including Bowling for Columbine and Fahrenheit uh, 9-11, Capitalism, A Love Story. And uh, he has wanted to make his own film. And so in between all these other films and other projects, for many, many years, he worked on Planet of the Humans. And it was, as I said, released back in April. And immediately, a million people <laughs> had seen the film. And then two million. And then three million. And today, it is up to uh, over 10 million views on my Rumble uh, YouTube channel. Another two to three million on other channels that are carrying it that can be metered. In other words, we actually know the real number. So that's over 12 million views. And then when a group of, I don't know, what are they, do they have a name, eco-fascists or whatever they are, they tried to stop this film from being seen. They tried to stop the public from seeing this film and tried to get it taken down. And, and a couple of, of individuals were successful in having it yanked down for a couple of weeks. And so we went on the podcast here and we said, hey, anybody who can help us, if you will, you have our permission to put our movie up on your Facebook site, on, on your YouTube channel, whatever, it's yours. And the, we don't know the exact number. We tried, to, we tried to figure this out, but let's just say it's probably at least another 5 million views from because people tried to stop the public from seeing, you know, anytime you try to stop the public from seeing something, it's the stupidest thing to do because then they just want to see it more. Nobody wants to be told you can't watch this. But there were, there were some so-called uh, environmentalists who were in bed with Wall Street and corporate America and who have, you know, in my humble opinion, uh, have, have not done us well in terms of trying to save this planet and save our species and everything else. And we came at this with a, a different approach. We, this film, Jeff's film, Planet of the Humans, we put this out there because we have been, all of us, environmentalists for decades. I was at the, the first Earth Day in Flint, Michigan, 1970. We have been involved with all things environmental for many, many years. And certainly, 
for me, the last 10, 20 years, I've been in very extreme disappointment with how parts of the environmental movement have jumped into bed with the oil and gas companies, with the green, green capitalism, and we haven't got much done. In fact, we're way behind. This planet's in pretty bad shape. And of all these movements that I've been involved in since I was a teenager, all, you know, we're never ever to the place where we need to be, whether it's with civil rights, uh, women's movement, gay movement, et cetera. But, but we're better than we were 50 years ago, you know, with the civil rights movement, with Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X and, every, and pff, millions of people made happen. You know, we're a bit further down the road. Feminist movement, we're not where we need to be. But, ma'am, this ain't 1952. Gay movement, you know, a Republican Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage here just a few years ago. I mean, this, you know, we have, so we have these, you know, these huge victories. And right after the first Earth Day, we had a lot of victories. We, we got the Clean Air Act passed. We got the Clean Water Act passed. Uh, the EPA was created, Environmental Protection Agency. I mean, there were, you know, first half of the 70s, some really good things going on. And then, boom, hardly anything. I mean, there's an occasional victory with protecting a forest, a wildlife refuge, but man. And so that number we weren't supposed to go past, 350, 350 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere, we're close to 420 right now. We're at the point where we may not be able to turn it back. And I can go down a whole bunch of things. You already know these things. You already know that it's like, where has the so-called environmental movement been? Maybe we're responsible for that because we, we weren't as active. But, or maybe a lot of you listening to this, you wanted to be active, but, but the whole thing got taken over by a group of people that, um, some of them, I'm, I know they're, they meant well, but they, they thought that it might be good to just kind of, maybe let's hook up with Mike Bloomberg, <laughs> Richard Branson. You know, that oil company isn't so bad. That What is that one era? Yeah, they, you know, that, they got all those green commercials. And bit by bit, people just kind of started to give in to it. And we lost our way. We didn't talk about the things we needed to talk about anymore. The earth got in worse shape. I won't even go down the whole list of things. I think you know them. I don't need to show you the ice caps and uh, the icebergs melting in Greenland or how many of our fish are gone in the ocean. Um, the, the, the annihilation of any amount of numbers of insects and species and whatever that are no longer with us, the rainforests. On and on and on. And so, myself and obviously Jeff and certainly Ozzy, who also, Ozzy had also written a book called Green Illusions. It's one of the first people that publicly went out there and said, you know, maybe we're not going about this the right way. Maybe we shouldn't be in bed with certain billionaires. And, uh, and so Jeff made this incredible film, wrote it, directed it. Shot it, <laughs> edited it, did the sound, did the score. I mean, incredible. And I watched him do this 
over a number of years. Um, it wasn't quite in his bedroom at the beginning, but in the end, there was a mattress. As many editors listen to this know, there was a mattress on the floor. It received so much acclaim from the people who watched it starting in April, and they told everybody else to watch it. This movie had no advertising, no nothing. There were only a, a couple of shows that were gracious enough to have us on to talk about it. Uh, Brian Williams was one on MSNBC, a uh, rising show on, on The Hill, Ali Velshi on MSNBC, um, Stephen Colbert had me uh, come on and, and we talked about it and uh, that was great. So the obvious the ones, the ones that you know are people that believe in free speech and educating the public about what we're not being told. And just from that little bit with, with nothing else, millions and millions of people watched it and told other people to watch it and shared it. And it was just, it was mind blowing. And I have to say, uh, you know, I'm a member of the Academy. I'm in the documentary branch. And so I, I get all the, the documentaries that are eligible for the Oscars this coming year here. Um, and as I look at these, um, all these other, and boy, there's some wonderful, great documentaries that were made this year. And, um, you know, before we do our end of the year shows here, we'll have some people on them or I'll, you know, I'll give you a list of, of what would be really good for you to watch. But I don't know of many, if any, of these uh, other documentary features, not TV series now, documentary features that had 12 to 15 million <laughs> viewers. It's just, it's, it's an incredible thing. I mean, just to give you an idea of, you know, my film, uh, the, uh, which is the largest grossing documentary of all time, Fahrenheit 9-11 from 2004, in the, the, the theatrical box office, I think it was around 120 million in the U.S. and another 100 and some million worldwide, so about 225 million gross. But that 100 120 million gross, if the tickets were $10 a piece, that would be 12 million people saw the, the largest grossing documentary of all time. That's what I'm saying. Just so you get a, a sense of these, uh, it's just, <laughs> it just kind of blew my mind, you know, not that Jeff didn't deserve it, but I mean, it's his first film. And then it's just out of the gate, boom, man, I've heard from so many of you who've sent me emails and voicemails about how the film affected you. It is a brutally honest movie. So now that the election is over, I personally want to do more, not so much with the, the film as I want to personally, and I want to encourage all of you listening to this, we need to do something, whether it's some kind of new movement, some new group, some new, I don't know what it is. We're going to talk about it, but we, we can't let this, we can't be silent anymore because I'm, we have all these issues we've got to deal with now with a new president, hopefully a new Senate, if that goes well. But um, but this issue, really, I mean, when you list the issues and they're all important, our actual survival here on this floating rock. <laughs> if we don't if we don't fix that, then well, you know, we won't have to worry about anything else, right? And and so that's why this is so important to me. 
And it's so important that we um, establish new, young leadership in our environmental movement and say thank you to those who worked hard trying to save the planet. Hasn't happened. Things are bleak. And in, in the spirit of, of Greta from Sweden, who just doesn't want to listen to any more crap from adults, promising, promising, promising. Young people are angry. They should be angry. And we need to support them. And we need a new way. And I want to tell you that if you have not seen this film, Planet of the Humans, it is only going to be on my Rumble YouTube channel. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's only up for the rest of today up till midnight. Um, if you're listening to this after the 18th of November, if you're listening to this from Thursday on, well, the film isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's going somewhere because it now is going to be available on iTunes. It's going to be available on Amazon Prime, on Vudu, on uh, Google Play, and on the YouTube movie channel. And you can rent it there really cheap. Like I think most of those sites are like $3.99 a rental, and you can buy it for $9.99. So that's really cheap for a buy. Um, so you will be able to see this film if you're listening to this on a, at a later date here. Very cheap. But if you're listening to me now here on Tuesday and Wednesday, there is still time uh, to watch it for free on my Rumble channel. And I'll have a link right here on the podcast page. You can just go right to it and uh, and watch it. And as this, these are the last 48 hours on Rumble uh, for Planet of the Humans, um, I decided to bring back my uh, co-conspirators here, uh, Ozzy Zenner, the producer of the film, and Jeff Gibbs, the writer and director of Planet of the Humans. Welcome, welcome to both of you, Ozzy and Jeff. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thank you very much for that powerful introduction. Thank you for saying that. It's only powerful because this is one of the things in my life I'm most proud of having done. Of, of just, And I'm really, I didn't do a lot. I just was supportive. Uh, you know, gave you my two cents, but, uh, but, but you guys did, did the heavy lifting and all the work, but I, I am honored to be part of this. I'm so proud of it. And when the, what do we, what do we call these people? The people that tried to kill this film, uh, maybe the wall street environmentalists, the wall street environmentalists. Yes. The green capitalists, when they tried to, when they tried to kill this. Uh, it was the most stunning thing to see happen. Some of them, a couple of them were other documentary filmmakers. They were so beside themselves, clutching their whatever and crying, crying, crying about, you know, not only must you not, you know, people, you must not watch this movie. Do not watch this movie. Michael Moore, we demanded apology. <laughs> like, what? And uh, Max Blumenthal had a great uh, phrase. Max Blumenthal, who did the investigative report uh, in the gray zone, uh, called them, uh, you know, said that Planet of the Humans was the portrayal of full-time climate warriors as de facto lobbyists for green tech billionaires and Wall Street investors. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, that's- Matt, we had Max Blumenthal on, on the podcast here a few months ago. He had this great investigative piece in the gray zone. That's his publication, G-R-A-Y. 
um, where he dug in and he found out who was behind the movement to try to censor your film, to try and stop your film from, from being seen, to try and take it down from YouTube. I mean, it was it was pretty, it was all over the map too. And and even things like things that, you know, man, I'm, you know, the nation magazine was yeah. part, part of this, People part of this that, group. And, and yet, and yet he said they, he, they were the easiest one to sort of see where, where they had made their bed because the back page of the nation was a full page ad from this hedge fund uh, that was helping to obviously fund the nation. We kind of smoked them out, right? I mean, the film smoked out, you know, the, uh, you know, who's in bed with this story that um, technology, which happens to be a $50 trillion profit center, that's their words. That's the words of uh, Wall Street investment hedge fund bankers. Um, you know, we, we smoked out who's allied with that misbegotten idea that capitalism and uh, so-called green technology can, can save the earth um, from disaster when, in fact, capitalism and, and technology are what's behind the destruction of the planet. But do you mind if I back up for a second and just respond yeah. to your great introduction, which um, one of the things people might not know is that um, you see in the movie uh, that I've been an environmentalist and moved to the woods and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, this has been a long journey for me, too. I think my first science fair project was like sixth grade or fifth grade, um, making a, a model of the solar system. And then my next science fair project was um, a uh, solar hot water heating device that I cobbled together hoping it would work. And then I, I, Ozzy, I don't even think you know this. My next project was, was with a few friends. We actually made a, uh, a, what was called a tornado machine, hurricane machine, you know, a weather machine in a box where that would swirl around. And, uh, um, and then the last project I did, which it didn't quite pull off was making a, a little steam generator with little, little balsa wood blades that would turn and try and generate some electricity. So this technology thread has been part of my life, uh, as, as well as, um, you know, really concerned with, I think, you know, our whole lives with like, what the heck is going on? And, and, uh, so that's really how I tripped into making this movie as I began to feel like, um, you know, I didn't want to make a movie about solar panels or electric cars or any of this stuff. Uh, you know, I wanted to make a movie because I felt like 20 years ago, I was beginning to notice that the long awaited collapse of our living planet wasn't someday. It was right now. And we were just all going along like, oh, we care about the planet, but basically we were all going along like everything was normal. So that's what really started the process. And one of the things I'm so grateful to you and to Ozzy, uh, to Angela Vargas, our editor, um, for it's not easy to come into this world. And I really appreciate the millions of people who have watched the film because to step out of this uh, yes, things are bad, but we're going to have, we have solutions. We have, we have technology. We have um, the environmental movements taking care of it. And it, it's all about the carbon, you know, all these rationalizations to step out of that and to step into this other space. I used to have a phrase called no, no one can stare into the sun. And I think that's what Planet of the Humans accomplished um, for many people was to help us look at this mess we're in in a completely different way. Um, and that is really the task of the film and the films that are going to come next is to help us get out of this story that is pretending to save us, pretending to be green. And it's actually, as I said in the film, leading us off the cliff.
And so you, that's, that's what I want to just appreciate you for taking the risk to help begin this process of getting out of the story that's, um, that's really making a lot of people rich, but has, has done nothing, nothing. And I just want to repeat over and over again, absolutely nothing to stave off climate change or this larger extinction event that's way bigger than climate change alone and get us into a story that might possibly, just possibly, result in us having a chance at, frankly, staying alive and our living Earth staying with us mm. as well. And by the way, we all know this, but we don't really know it. The planet goes, we go too. You know, we're asking the que- a question like, oh, you know, you, sa- you said population and consumption were a problem. No, no, we can sustain. We're asking the wrong question. We're not even asking the right question still. It's not how many people can the planet sustain. It's how many people can the planet endure? Mm. How much growth and consumption can the planet not sustain, but how much can it endure? And right now, it's not enduring what we're doing, much less an increase in what we're doing, which, by the way, aside from saying, oh, no, we're going to run out of people. No, we're still on track to double and quadruple our total human impact on this planet. And we're already way oversubscribed. So to get back to our critics, I think that they know we're right. You know, Bill McCabin wrote a book about population. I would never write a book about just about population. It was called, you know, maybe one. Al Gore had population in his film. Mm -hmm. They both talked about growth and consumption at different times. I think somewhere they know we're right. And if they indeed actually watched the film, they would agree with most of it. The part that they wouldn't agree with is the part where they went off the rails and got sucked into saying that technology will save us by people who are going to make and are making billions and trillions of dollars from this. So that's where I'm at. Just thank you so much for having the courage and for Ozzy, for you having the courage to do this. And, um, you know, um, we're in this for the long haul. So this is, this is. Well, Ironically, yeah. <laughs> when this movie was released, we were in a lockdown because of a pandemic and because yeah. we didn't learn our lessons, we're going back into a lockdown here in Michigan. So right. here we are uh, eight months later. Yeah. Um, well, you came out on the other end of, of those attacks and everything by people that were very afraid of losing the little nest that they had created for themselves. It was surprising to me how some of the some of the names of the people that signed the petition to take the movie down and all that it was like it was um, you know now and very embarrassing for them and uh, you read the read the posts on uh, on uh, YouTube and emails and whatever and they're so disappointed in people that they used to think very highly of and they revealed themselves um, for who they really are and instead of just having the great debate with you with Ozzy with myself. Which, which is fine. You know, they have their opinion. We have ours. Let's, let's have, let's have that talk. Um, they, they just immediately within 24 hours, we're, we're trying to get the film taken down. We're bullying sites that were carrying it to get them to take it down. Threatening. It was, uh, it, it, um, it got to the point where PEN America, which is the organization that uh, is a civil liberties organization to, to defend writers and artists, not once, but twice publicly cited 
gave their version, their citation, they cited them for their attempts to censor and to stop the public from seeing this film and the truth that this film uh, was presenting to the general public. Um, it was embarrassing for them. They lost, Jeff, you won, and, and, and they brought millions more people to see Planet of the Humans. So, so good on all that. I haven't talked to you on this since the Max Blumenthal piece came out. And I don't know if there, was there anything in that piece for either of you that, 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 um, that surprised you or, um, that you were learning for the first time maybe, or something that hadn't been pointed out to the public. I'm just curious, uh, cause I'll post Max's article here on uh, the link to it on my, on the podcast site here. Well, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I think for me, the, one of the things that I thought Max put together really well was the section on Mark Jacobson. This is a really central person in the kind of Wall Street environmentalist crowd. And he wrote the um, the kind of seminal study on the idea that we can do wind and solar. Uh, we don't need backup. Uh, and it became the cornerstone of the Green New Deal. Um, now, what Max kind of lays out so succinctly is that there were 21 uh, scientists from the National Academies uh, that came out uh, with a paper that, that identified that this study that is undergirding so much work in the field is, and I'm going to quote from from their study, uh, their, their papers, is uh, Jacobson's study has had invalid modeling tools, contained modeling errors, and made it implausible and inadequately supported assumptions. And Max kind of characterized this as Jacobson's crystal ball. And that got shattered on the floor uh, by, by the National Academies and by some of his own colleagues at Stanford. Uh, and th that I thought was really fascinating. And what I've learned since then, going back and looking at that study, is that it was cited over 3,000 times in the academic literature. And those studies were then cited thousands of more times. So Jacobson's paper this kind of debunked research is kind of like the coronavirus of academic papers. Um, and Naomi Klein wrote an entire book premised on kind of this debunked model. And for Max to, to draw that, to show how that all rolled out was, was fascinating to me. What did you, what have you learned Ozzy since the film came out? Because I know a lot of people sent you guys their research and, and the things that maybe you didn't get to in the film or whatever, but I'm just curious for people who've seen the film, especially what, what new things have you learned to support uh, the thesis here that you have presented to the public? Well, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned and, and, and like you said, it was due to the people who have watched the film who have gotten in contact with us because, you know, the, the thousands of people who are looking into these issues themselves and then getting back with us has been, it's been amazing. We haven't even gotten a chance to, to respond to everyone yet, uh, but we will. And um, what was fascinating is so many of the detractors, if you go down the list of kind of the, the hit pieces that were written about the film, um, it's, it's incredible to look at how many were funded by the same people. Um, one is the Yale School for the Environment. Uh, they have uh, Yale Climate Connections. Uh, it, it's actually funded by the billionaire logging investor who's exposed in the film, Jeremy Grantham. Uh, another one of the largest uh, sponsors is uh, the logging comp company Weyerhaeuser uh, that's also kind of exposed in the film. And going down the list, as Jeff said, they kind of got smoked out. 
when they came up, we looked into them and, and nearly all of the environmental news sources building the firewalls around Planet of the Humans were grantees of the foundation network that the film exposes. Uh, and that included Inside Climate News, Grist, Earth Island Journal, uh, Common Dreams, Climate Nexus, Science News, a Union of Concerned Scientists, and um, and, and, like, and the nation, like you said. And none of them acknowledged their clear conflicts of interest in, in reporting on a film that exposes their funders. Um, and, th- I mean, the nation is a good example because that construal was written by Josh Fox, who had numerous conflicts of interest, as Max Blumenthal pointed out. Well, his international wow company is a Rockefeller grantee. Uh, according to ProPublica, he receives a six-figure salary from an organization called Sweet Chain, which is also funded by uh, the billionaire families, the one percenters who are embarrassed in the film. And then also uh, what Max draws out is this connection between Josh, Josh Fox and an energy industrialist named um, uh, Tom Dinwoody uh, and, and, and his connections uh, with funding. And so... I think that was really one of the biggest things I've learned since the film came out is this, our environmental media media has been essentially just taken over uh, and bought out. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, Max also, one of the things that surprised me was pointing out that uh, Bill McKibben had uh, made a call for environmentalists to cooperate with the Pentagon, with the Pentagon. Let's think who the Pentagon is, is really, is that what we want? We want solar powered biofuel bombers, which you see briefly in the film. Because uh, Richard Branson, the billionaire, um, you know, was eager to get involved with the U.S. Navy. But Bill McKibben called for environmentalists to cooperate with the Pentagon, quote, because when it speaks, frankly, it has the potential to reach Americans who won't listen to scientists. So the Pentagon is to be an advocate for this green, sustainable future. I mean, that's, right. you know, we grew up knowing that the military industrial complex is, is now this to be the military industrial green complex. Um, it's just, so Max was able to, um, to, to make note of that and just, you know, continue to ask the deeper questions. You know, he asked why have figures like Google CEO, Eric Schmidt, Michael Bloomberg, Richard Branson and Tesla founder, Elon Musk been plowing their fortunes into climate advocacy. You know, is it for the good of the planet or for their bottom line? You know, Elon Musk, um, who's not, you know, is in the film only briefly, but he's been launching hundreds and thousands of, of rockets into space. And, you know, as a former science fiction fan, I can appreciate that. But what is a rocket launched into space but a giant tower full of fossil fuels or chemicals? You know, okay, we're going to save the, save the fossil fuels by not driving fossil fuel cars, you know, which isn't true. But then we're going to use them in giant skyscrapers full of fossil fuels to launch human beings, uh, including space tourists. I mean, it's just... And then Max also pointed out um, that um, Elon Musk, who is, by the way, tried to cozy up to Trump um, on his journey towards money making. And by the way, his uh, gigafactory, his battery plant in Nevada went there in part because they were able to fast track uh, uh, their way around environmental regulations. And also they have cheap, abundant uh, energy there. But, um, you know, in Bolivia, there's a lot of turmoil. And Bolivia is one of the world's largest sources of lithium needed for electric car batteries like Elon Musk's. Somebody pointed out that the U.S. was perhaps behind the coup to remove the democratically elected indigenous president, Eva Morales of Bolivia, um, to, get, to get him out of the way 
of better access to lithium. And uh, somebody pointed that out to Elon Musk on Twitter, and Elon Musk tweeted back, we'll coup who we want. Get over it. Mm. So, you know, we're just, there's so much that needs to be explored here. Naomi Klein, uh, who, another person I've admired uh, for her courageous writing, and yet she immediately attacked the film. Hmm. Well, Max was able to uh, to document, which we uh, already had a clue about, that she has taken money from the Rockefeller Brothers Fund and the Ford Foundation, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's like, how could, you know, when you take money and get into bed with these people for what you think is a good cause, who changes? Ford, the Rockefellers, or you? And unfortunately... You know, if you're listening to Naomi or, or Bill McKibben, come back. Come back. Even after your tax on us, we need you. But first, you have to recognize that just maybe you took that wrong step. You know, I think why this movie did so well is I think a lot of people were also already thinking, geez, where the hell are we? The so-called environmental movement. What is going on here? Why, why are all the oil and gas companies running green commercials? Why, why have... Why have they taken the Bloomberg money? Why have they, why is the Sierra Club so, you know, what, even on their website, Jeff, you were showing me they're, they, they, they're in the business of selling things, green technology and all this. And it's like, I don't know. What's your salesperson? Yeah. Why, you know, why does Joe Biden or um, Justin Trudeau um, or any leader who seems to lean, towards green, why do they all get twisted in knots, you know, when they start talking about, we're, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. Oh, well, we can't quite get rid of fossil fuels. Oh, we're going to go all green. Uh, you know, it's because they're living the lie that's been told in the environmental movement about the nature of the time we're in. And uh, I think moving forward is a great idea. you mind if I take a minute and just set the, the um, kind of set the edge, set the frame for um, the time we're in, you know, that I've been, kind of been thinking about since the movie came out. Yes, please. Um, and the, um, the, you know, we're really in this in-between time. Part of the reason we don't, we're not all running into the streets screaming is that despite all the bad news, and despite the pandemic and the economic crush, you know, overall, we're getting by, you know, and some of us are getting by quite well. You know, the economy didn't crash for a lot of people. It, uh, um, it, some people have doing, been doing very well, as you can see in the stock market. Uh, and, but, you know, we're, we're sort of in this limbo period, and we're being told that the meltdown is all about climate change, and that's what we need to worry. And climate change is real and deadly, don't get me wrong. But I've been thinking about this. We're, we're the, the downfall of nature, we don't really – it doesn't matter to us that the fish are gone anymore in the ocean because we raise fish on fish farms. It doesn't matter that they're gone in the Great Lakes because we can ship them in you know, from the Arctic uh, on planes and, and trains and other means. Um, we don't care that the trees are not looking good and dying because we're still building things out of plastic. Or we can get trees from faraway places and, you know, add glue and call it plywood when we don't have – it's not plywood. It's particle board. So, you know, we don't care that um, you can't – there's no clean water anywhere to drink on the surface of the earth hardly anymore because we pump it from underground using energy and machines. Um, you know, we don't care that there's not enough rainfall. 
you know, so thing after thing, uh, we don't care that half the soil has been depleted uh, because we have fertilizers. Um, so we're in a time that's where of, of limbo, where we're being propped up by still by oceans of oil and natural gas. We're being propped up by our ability to plunder uh, the biology of the planet that took millions, hundreds of millions of years to accumulate. Soils that took tens of thousands of years. You, we're propped up by our, our ability to plunder those things. We're being propped up by minerals that took billions of years to accumulate in the earth. And we're running through all these things in a couple hundred years. But because we still have access to these things, uh, aided and abetted by fossil fuels, we st we're, we're in this twilight zone where if, if the fossil fuels fell away and our ability to, do, to, to draw water from deep or to raise fish in these fish farms, um, if that fell away, we would be in serious, serious trouble. Right now, if, if the heat and electricity shut off, even in Michigan, where we have a lot of trees, if everybody went out and cut a damn tree to stay warm, you know, it'd be game over for the climate and the forests like this winter with 10 million people here. So we're in this limbo zone. And, you know, we're also, we've been lied to over and over again this is, that this extinction event has to do only with carbon or primarily with carbon. But if you actually just do a little research, um, you know, there's been studies for the last 20 years. What are the biggest killers of life on this earth? You know, there's just a study in uh, 2017 published in the, in the journal Nature. The biggest killers are actually, what's number one? Over-exploitation, they said. Um, what is that? Logging, hunting, fishing, and gathering plants. The next biggest category was agricultural activity, including crop farming, livestock farming, timber plantations, and aquaculture. And you just go down the list, and you begin to realize, even though the fires that may be climate-related are bad, we've already logged 70% of the planet in something like, I don't know what it is, Ozzy, but of the arable land on, on Earth. Well, I'll just give you an example in the Midwest. 99% of the prairie is gone. It's gone. It's converted to agriculture. Yeah. So climate change is on top of these things that humans are doing everywhere. And we're, we need to get out of that story that it's just climate change and into realizing it's our total human presence that's far beyond sustainability and then act accordingly from there. And, you know, we're, Ozzy and I are both excited about a number of ideas, but they all have to come into the framework of, um, and I don't have a better word, but we have to figure out how to degrow our human presence to get in balance with what a living planet can support and regrow all of the wonderful things that we should be in love with and that keep us alive. And in that context, I, you know, I don't know you about, about you, Ozzy, but there, I, have, I think there are a lot of exciting things people can start doing today. This week, next week. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think that the ramping down of civilization could be terrible, but it doesn't have to be. And, um, you know, after it happens or as it happens, there will be more uh, natural, if you want to look at it as like natural material per capita than we have now. Um, more forests, more wildlife, more fresh water. Um, and that's really where, that's the trick is that what we call a growth economy is actually the reverse. It actually reduces access to all of the natural world, its beauty, its utility for every individual. Um, and 
growth also increases, you know, the risks that we face uh, to every individual. Uh, like we're getting a taste of that with with COVID right now, but it also includes you know risks like shortages and hunger and resource wars. Um, and so I think the key ahead of us is to try to find a way to flip our minds uh, into thinking of a greater abundance per person by by kind of reining in our civilization overall, uh, and, and at the same time taking care of people um, and 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 redistributing more than than we have been able to do the wealth uh, that that's necessary uh, in order to to make sure that everyone's taken care of during that time. Let me piggyback on that, Ozzy. It's like I don't think the green billionaires want you to be thinking about the the end of growth, uh, that the infinite growth is not compatible with a finite planet because their capitalist models depend on that. I don't think they want us saying things like uh, task number one in terms of the uh, social order is to begin to um, – there's no reason that they their, – their wealth comes from taking from the earth and taking from their fellow humans. Some of them have done – good things uh, in terms of uh, things we need and want, but there's no reason that we shouldn't be taxing them like we did up until recent decades. And and that money could be going to actually take care of people uh, in a way that, uh, you know, people that, that are well taken care of and ac- have access to uh, family planning and birth control tend to have fewer kids and tend to um, be able to think about taking care of the environment. People that are desperate and struggling cannot think about taking care of the environment. But so I, you know, let me the let's have the green barrier billionaires volunteer to um, redistribute their wealth so people are taken care of. Let's see them volunteer to one of our favorite things. Let's, let's dead end their wealth into land, into prairie, into forests, into wetlands, into oceans. Get the, that then can regrow and revitalize. Let them do that with their wealth if they want to really be green. Jeff, did you say dead end their wealth? Dead end their wealth. Uh, would you please explain what you mean by that? You know, money and wealth is really just a contract. I did something to the world, you know, that took something. And uh, so then I get this note to you uh, that you did something, you know, it's just, it chases around this, the uh, economic engine. So um, if I want my wealth to stop um, <laughs> doing the harm, I need to invest it in things that are uh, going to then just stay there and, uh, and or protecting the land and, the, and the, the places and the indigenous people who are still living sustainably in many cases. What is it? What's the, what is the, these, these, uh, these green, the, the green, the so-called green people that believe capitalism is the way to save the earth. What is the misdirect or the redirect that they've done here with climate change? Because that's all that really gets discussed now in terms, you went through that whole list of things that are harming the planet. Climate change is very serious and is definitely one of them, but it's one of them. And we don't talk about the other stuff. What's, what's the thinking there and how have they succeeded in getting otherwise good people, people listening to this podcast? In fact, even myself, you know, it's just a shortcut to talk about environmental stuff these days is just to say climate. That's a, it's a, it's a one word thing and it's supposed to mean so, so much. Ozzy, you know, we talked about this when we first met, right? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of like, you know, where I started out with this is this idea that we have kind of a, a yearning for solutions, um, which is 
I think part of the reason we got into our current predicament is actually the solutions, uh, the yearning for them. Um, and I, I don't know the answer, um, but that, but there's definitely been that shift that Jeff is talking about uh, to prioritize climate change above everything else. And really, I see climate change as a symptom, uh, maybe as an indicator, but not as a problem that has to be addressed because it can't be addressed. It's just a symptom. Um, and really, you have to get down to a deeper level, uh, and, and that's imagining smaller human societies over time surrounded by wilderness. Uh, that's a doable model. Uh, but continuing to grow uh, and trying endlessly to uh, sequester carbon dioxide using more technologies, all of which are based on fossil fuels and more mining and extraction, is futile. How would, how would you describe, what is the main difference from the way that you, Ozzy and Jeff, see the problem in front of us than, say, the Bill McKibbins and, and uh, uh, you know, the Al Gores uh, of this world? I think it's, um, to use an old word, um, we're not taking a holistic or a systems approach. And um, I really think it's driven by the profit motive, um, whether that's they intended it that way or not. And uh, it's human nature to want, I don't know if it's human nature, in this civilization, we really value, you know, oh, you know, what's the answer? You know, that's almost like a business model thing. I don't want problems. I want what the answer is, you know. And the more you can boil that down to, you remember the elevator pitch for your movie? Like, just tell me it in a sentence. You know, it's like, um, so everybody's busy, people are stressed. And so if you just are told uh, climate, 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 and then if all these news organizations, which we're going to look into, by the way, are funded or fed stories from people funded to only focus on climate, it kind of fills in this thing that we have where, oh, okay, yeah, it's climate change. That's what it is. Never mind that I look out, even out my back window right now, and I see soil that's been destroyed by people trying to farm it, and it's struggling to come back. I see invasive species in this yard. I see woods that have been cut two or three times. I see woods that have been where there used to be flocks of a billion birds in northern Michigan. A billion birds in one flock. Gone. You know, I see that there's a highway not far away that segments the land. I see that the road in front of my house, there's dozens of... um, Every turtle I saw this year was crushed by a car. You know, roads alone uh, kill hundreds of millions, probably billions, many billions of animals every year. So I think we all have had a fear of what I call staring into the sun, as I mentioned. And so they fill in this word climate and then the solution that's there. And we all get breathe this little sigh of relief. Um, And uh, so I think it's been a slippery slope that they've created an attractive nuisance. Um, and we kind of have to break the spell. They're not going to break it for us. We have to break the spell and think holistically, um, which early on, I think uh, Al Gore did. I, I think if we went back to his early writings, we would see a much more well-rounded approach um, to things. Ozzy, what are your thoughts on this? Boy, I think I agree with Jeff. Um, and that really is the the path ahead of us is to try to figure out how to take that different perspective. And that's going to be a huge challenge. Um, and that's, you know, Planet of the Humans isn't really a film that much about solar and wind and the technologies. It's a film about how we've been deceived and how, and not just that, how we've been deceiving ourselves. And, and I think that's part of the reason we have that kind of unhinged, you know, reaction 
by the career critics while the audiences loved a film. I mean, 10 to 1, they were giving it a thumbs up uh, on YouTube and writing all kinds of wonderful comments. Um, but I think we're starting to see that divide where maybe we have an environmental movement that isn't quite syncing up with where people are. Uh, and, and, and people are, are interested in moving forward. Um, and it might actually be our kind of establishment environmentalists that are the last to see that, the kind of the last people to, to come around. Mm. Just in, in Traverse City, where, where, you know, which I live not far from, and, uh, you know, here we have a town that tried to bring our leaders and the environmental groups tried to bring biomass plants here, and we organized opposition and, and uh, ended it. It, took, it, took, it was a difficult fight. It took time, but, um, you know, we organized to actually stop something that was going to be worse for the environment and for the forests. And, um, but, you know, here we are in a town which prides itself on uh, the, the airport expanded. You know, there's all this development. I've seen, uh, you know, dunes that are 10,000 years old be plowed down for a housing development. You know, I see even now during the pandemic, building after building, house after house, you know, the traffic here has went through the ceiling and yet we're going to put up solar panels. Uh, you know, we live in a state in which it's now legal to pretty much kill coyotes whenever you want. It's like there's so much to get involved with. People here have organized to resist the pipeline uh, by an oil company that's underneath our Great Lakes. Great. Uh, but let's not stop there. You know, let's get back to understanding uh, we should be fighting for that dune that's going to be plowed down uh, for the subdivision. But but see, do you see how we've been distracted into thinking because we're putting up solar panels at the airport? that it's okay to double, you know, to just grow and grow and grow. So if we change our frame, it's actually, at first it's frustrating, but it's heartening to join with other people and resist more development and more growth. Um, you know. Can we do this though? Is it, is it possible that we could turn this around? Because you're talking about, you know, some very entrenched people and environmental organizations or whatever that have got their way that they want to do this. And their way is not saving uh, the planet in the way it needs to be saved. So how do we, you, me, Ozzy, and everybody listening to this, how do, what, what do we do? What can we do? I mean, on, on some level, it feels a little hopeless, uh, mainly because the battle we have to have seems to be with people that are on quote, our side. Um, but they're, they're not really. And, um, or if they are, they gave it their best and they've not succeeded in what needs to be done to save this planet. So what, what, what do you suggest to the people listening to this to myself? I mean, it's, uh, <sighs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a turnaround of perspective first. Um, and, you know, resisting things is I think really important. Uh, Ozzy, you had an idea for taking back some of the environmental movement. Well, yeah, I, well, the Sierra Club would be my first target just because I think that it's still, I think we could still save the Sierra Club. Um, you know, it's a huge membership organization. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the Sierra Club has two parts. There's the membership base. And these are the people who hike and bike and want to introduce their children to nature. And then we have the executive branch of the Sierra Club, and that's the Michael Bloomberg uh, branch. And, um, you know, it's going to take some work, but if, if the members can get together, they can kind of cut that cancerous tumor off uh, and make the Sierra Club back to it, bring it back to its roots uh, about being that organization that we all love. Um, and it's going to take journalists 
to, and when they want to get the reaction of the Sierra Club, to call the membership president, not, you know, my, uh, not the Michael Brune, who's the director of the, the executive branch. Um, and they, they've tried this before and they've failed. Um, but I think it's possible because there you have an organization that actually does have a large membership base. Some of the other environmental groups are probably, that's probably just not going to happen. They're too entrenched or they were even started by the kind of 1%, the, uh, the Wall Street environmentalists. But, you know, what Jeff was saying about biomass plants, that's that's another thing that, that gets me excited is we need to end all of it uh, without exceptions. It's the worst thing we could possibly be doing or deluding ourselves into thinking that that we could possibly be burning the biology of the planet for profit, and that is somehow helpful. Um, and it's and a big then, part of the Biden, uh, quote-unquote, climate plan, and it's a, and it's a big part of the... Uh, all the models that are part of the Paris climate agreement that we're going to get back into. And nobody even knows that. Um, so it's, well, it's, speak to that, tell people what they should know about that. Cause I was reading um, down through the, the Biden, the Biden green deal. And it's like, number one, oh, that's good. Number two, well, that's really important. Number three, and I got to number six and there was biofuel. And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. They've learned to not say biomass, but, um, um, you know, a lot of what they call advanced biofuels are, um, again, taking trees uh, and forests and turning them into ethanol or some other kind of liquid fuel. Um, they're also talking about, again, we're at a time, as I said, when 99% of the, the, the land, um, arable land in the Midwest has been turned away from what it was. And what it was was something that sequestered a lot of carbon and harbored a, a lot of biodiversity. Um, and so we're going to have more of it to grow more crops for biofuels. So these evil, and they also mentioned, you know, they slip in their animal fats and leftovers. It's like, yes, we're still talking about animals for biofuel. So when you stop and, and look and think out of the, out of the climate frame and into the holistic frame, you realize that agriculture and deforestation are the two largest drivers of this extinction event and the human domination and decimation of the biology of the planet, and yet we're going to expand those. And despite some people claiming, oh, no, it's such a small part of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a small part of what's used for electricity, but biomass burning, for, whether for biofuels or uh, for, for home heat, for um, you know, waste energy, it's just huge. Um, it's, it's far and away. What, what, how, what's the ratio, Ozzy? I mean, it's well, the total well, energy the mix. vast majority of what's considered to be renewable energy. Uh, I think it's something like 70% of what's considered to be renewable energy in international agreements and even in the United States is, is biomass. Most uh, of the rest is hydro. And yeah, so, much it's hydro. In and then for the UN Climate Agreement, all the models showing how we're going to actually reduce the carbon um, requires us utilizing the forests and plants of the world to burn them in power plants and then to build this technology, which doesn't even really exist uh, and that will require energy to suck the carbon out of the smoke coming out of these biomass burning plants. They're burning trees. And then we're somehow we're going to bury that carbon or turn it into another fuel. It's just, it's just another level of insanity because we can't think holistically. Um, you know, we just singled out the single thing of, of only we're like desperate people, uh, you know, approaching death. Um, refusing to face our own um, demise that we're creating by going, it's a, 
if I, we'll get the carbon out. We'll get the carbon out. That'll make it okay, right? And the plans to get the carbon out, even if they did accomplish that, are absolutely worse than doing nothing. Why? If you thought, how can Why? we make sure to destroy the planet faster? It would be to turn what remains of the prairies and farmlands and forests into some kind of biofuel or biomass mm-hmm. to be burned in the name of saving the, the climate. And the alternative is actually surprising and not technically difficult. It's simply, it, imagine if we were to pay farmers to plant prairies and then stand back. And that's all we had to do. And nature will take care of it from there. Really, we just have to stop. And so, when we think about what can we do, what do we need to invent, what do we need? It's really just, you know, we need to find a way to stop and pull back. Um, And those prairies will do their job for us. We don't have to do anything. We just have to not cut them down. And the animals will return. There's so many exciting things on a smaller scale, though. I just want to be clear, the big picture is really important, but man, just supporting Planned Parenthood, you know, advocating for education for women and for birth control uh, worldwide, you know, that's, we've just forgotten all about that. Um, you know, right now we could, we, you know, we could have 40 million acres, I believe is the number of lawns uh, that we have, 40 million acres of instant habitat. If we only had a campaign and the legal right to turn our lawns, well, either to not mow, which I love, you know, <laughs> um, or you know, to turn them into natural plants and habitat. I mean, why aren't we doing that if we're serious about climate change? Because that is not a giant profit center. How about the millions of acres of, of roadways, figuring out how to turn those into native plants that would both increase biodiversity and suck up carbon? I mean, there are just so many things right before us that we just don't even think about because we've been sucked into the story of machinery that's going to save the planet. Um, Describe that story we've been sucked into, um, because it seems like unless we can change that story, um, the, the people that would be with us on this um, are just going to continue to follow uh, down a road that has led us essentially to nowhere. So does it describe that, that story that we've been fed here. Well, the story that we're in is a human species who were at a few million people uh, for thousands of years, for hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, and suddenly, as we begin to get really good at plundering the forests, turning those into charcoal, we got early industry, uh, and we began to have the ability to, to, to build machines. And then, then, for better or for worse, you know, when, when there are something less than a billion people, we tapped into these, into fossil fuels. And so fossil fuels then allowed us to increase everything we're doing, logging, farming, fishing, building, concrete, mining. Um, and then our numbers exploded and our consumption exploded so that it's widely agreed that um, everywhere you look, that our human presence is literally 100 times greater than a mere 200 years ago. We're betting our lives that somehow we can stay on that cliff 100 times higher than the baseline uh, and not crash. And we're already beginning to crash. So the story that we're being told, though, is the only part of that that counts is the carbon part. That carbon, the climate change equals a carbon problem, and that carbon can be solved with technology. And if only we join with the green billionaires to build plaster the whole planet with technology, problem solved. 
So if uh, Jeff and Ozzy, if I can just go back to the these green new deals and and you know Bernie had a green new deal, uh, AOC has a green new deal, Biden had some kind of green deal or something in his platform. And I'm just I want to get your take on this because now we're moving forward. We've got uh, a new president and vice president. Uh, we, you know, we've still, the Democrats still have the house and remains to be seen. I hope we get to have the Senate, but, um, from your perspective, um, I'm just curious what your take it now. There are those three people I mentioned all their deals are all slightly different. And I think Biden's is, um, somewhat different quite a bit different, maybe on the way you look at it, but I'm just curious, um, what your take is on all the green deals, what's good about it. And what, you know, because at least I remember both Bernie and Alexandria saying that these were not in cement. They just wanted to put it out there, start a discussion, and it's a living document, and we can all work on it and make it what we need it to be. So I'm really curious to hear what you guys would do to um, add to, subtract from, improve these uh, these green deals. And specifically, even with, with Biden, um, what we can do to nudge him uh, along uh, toward the you know the place that we're all at. Well, it's, it's a big question, and it's something we have to, we're going to have to um, really get our heads around over the next few months. Um, first of all, just stepping back for a second, you know, one of the things that's not in the film, I actually asked Bernie Sanders um, whether we could solve climate or any other environmental problem without dealing with growth, and what do you think he said? He said, yes, we have to deal, that's probably true. We have to deal with growth and true sustainability. And even Bill McKibben has written, uh, he, even recently he did a, a piece on growth. And um, so this is the hidden, this is the hidden um, issue that we haven't taken head on, e- that, our, that our leaders, the smart ones, know is that this addiction to growth is what's driving the destruction of the planet. So, um, and describe you, when, growth. Tell people what you mean when you say growth. Uh, our growing human presence, especially, uh, you know, it's, it's been two things. It's been population growth and growth of consumption. But the, the, the thing that we're all addicted to right now in this economy is the growth of consumption and of capitalism and industrialism. So, you know, the, when I hear the, the, the Green New Deal, when I look at it, the parts that have to do with social justice. The parts that have to do with um, taking care of all of us um, and redistributing wealth, mm-hmm. um, those are the New Deal parts. Those parts sound great. Um, but what everyone is confused about is, first of all, nothing that doesn't address growth is going to make any difference at all to this, the fate of the planet. And so the erroneous assumption that's embedded within this, well-intended let's take care of everyone, let's take care of the planet, is that you can have a green form of capitalism. That's a false assumption. That you can have a green form of technology. Um, that's an erroneous assumption. Explain um, why. Explain why. Because all technology is derived from mining, uh, from fossil fuels, from exploitation of the planet, the resources of the earth. And you're not going to get around that law of physics and chemistry. Um, and everything that we do to build technology uh, denigrates ecosystems and the living planet as well as non-renewable resources. So, you know, technology comes from the Greek phrase, which is the means to obtain things. That's where it comes from. 
So our means to obtain things, it's our obtaining things more and more and more things, whether we label it green or whether we label it greed, or as I think it is, both, um, you know, is what the problem is. So I would separate out the green and stop conflating, you know, what's good for the economy. You know, this is one of the, the, uh, the, the mistaken things that Al Gore said, everyone, oh, we can have an expanding economy and take care of the planet too. No, it is the expanding economy driven by capitalism and the growth of our human presence that is consuming the planet. Um, mm, right. So the environmental movement has uh, allowed Wall Street and wealthy interests to conflate what's good for us, you know, in terms of the economy and growth uh, with what's good for the planet. And those two things are not compatible. Now, we can take care of people, and that, in a, you know, the more people are taken care of, the more that they can care for the planet. Uh, the more people are taken care of and access, have access to birth control, health care, um, the more they're less likely, uh, you know, to, um, to, to have a smaller family, the more they're more likely to have a smaller family size and to be able to think about the uh, bigger picture. So um, I think we have to separate out the green part of this um, from the part of it that's a new deal. And the green intentions in Biden's, Biden's plan are just going to drive, you know, more building of solar panels and wind turbines and more biomass and biofuels, which is just more technology, more consumption, more fossil fuels, more burning uh, across the planet. So um, there's just so many things that we could be doing. Um, if we really wanted to be green, um, uh, he, well, here's what would be part of my real new green deal is, you know, wh- what happened to educating? Uh, why wouldn't nature be part of the education that every child gets and every student has, just like math or phys ed? What do you mean um, by, how, by nature? You know, understanding, you know, just spending part of your day, um, you know, in nature mm-hmm. and and in education and educating ourselves and our children about how every breath we take, everything we eat, everything we have depends on a functional living planet. And we so, we understand so poorly our own uh, relationship with the earth. But doesn't every child need some time in nature and thinking about nature every single day as much as they need math or English? Uh you know, where is the, uh, I'd like to see a huge renewed effort to, to um, rewild as much land as we can, as Ozzy mentioned earlier, uh, rewild parts of the ocean. Why not a plan to get people involved with breaking up the corporate farms and returning people and animals to the landscape where they can begin to live in a more dynamic, sustainable relationship? Um, you know, we're not talking about breaking up the corporate farms. We're talking about getting more biomass and bio, biofuels, which is a profit for them. Uh, where is the Civilian Conservation Corps that gets people involved, like where I live? The people, we have the last of the piping plovers here, and we need volunteers and people, workers to help make sure that they can survive and the habitat survives. We have the last of these million-year-old, 100-million-year-old sturgeon that people have to watch over. Um, there's so much we can do when we actually think about how do we um, change society to take care of everyone and how do we gear ourselves towards regrowing and re- reinvigorating the living things around us. Um, and I think if we begin to think in terms of um, what's really green, you know, um, pr- 
saving and protecting and rewilding nature. Uh, and um, I think for me, since this movie has come out, I don't know, Ozzy, you can address this. It's such a relief. And I just feel so amazed and fortunate to be having this conversation and to be able to take the action of getting the film out. Um, I, 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 I go down and document what birds are around, you know, like every few days uh, and look at the National Lake Shore and what kind of dogs might be chasing the birds. And, you know, it's just like, um, there's so much to do and action is the antidote to despair. Um, so amidst the bad news, if we just join together uh, to make a plan to take care of each other and love nature as we love ourselves and take action within those frameworks, um, you know, we will we'll change. Oh, we'll, it's all depressing that solar panels aren't going to save us. It's depressing for the five minutes before you actually decide to do something. Mm. Ozzy, what about you? Well, I don't think I can beat that. That I mean, I agree with Jeff on on all of that. Um, and I would just reiterate that, you know, we've spent a trillion over a trillion dollars on wind and solar, and it's had absolutely no effect on reducing fossil fuel consumption. In fact, fossil fuel consumption has gone up um, over dramatically over that period because we haven't been looking at the underlying causes um, of that growth. Uh, so, I would be leery to support any plan that, you know, is going to, to double down on that, those trillions spent. Um, and, uh, you know, the other things is, you know, I would certainly like to see any, any biomass removed um, from, from a Green New Deal. Um, and, uh, you know, replacing some of the energy uh, strategies with things like passive solar, uh, you know, design, the designing of buildings, um, awnings over windows. Uh, awnings, sound really boring, but they actually have a much larger impact than solar cells could possibly have. Uh, insulation, these boring things that, uh, uh, that are a part of, some of these are already in, in, in some of the plants, the Green New Deal plans, and, and I think those would be worth keeping. Um, and the only thing that I would uh, mention also is the, the idea of taxation uh, of carbon. Um, that's something I get asked about a lot, and, and I actually think that taxing energy makes more sense than taxing carbon, because uh, the problem with taxing carbon is that people can start to play games with that. And one of the big games that's being played with that is the nuclear industry. And so uh, they can, certain industries can say, oh, we don't produce carbon because they just don't measure it in the same way or they don't measure the other side effects of energy production. Uh, and so those can, those can, we can basically just be trading one set of side effects for another set of side effects. And so that's why we really have to just put a cap uh, on energy or, or, um, uh, energy tax. So you're saying yeah. tax, when you say tax energy, you mean, uh, tax the fossil fuels. Yeah. Tax, tax energy production period, regardless where it comes from, which is primarily fossil fuels, but quite a bit of hydro is in there too, when it yeah. comes to electricity or nuclear, you know, one of the things we discovered, uh, the last few months, so it's not in the film. Um, and we've been, you know, we're exploring this before. We just didn't have room to put it in everything, but that, um, you know, uh, hydro electricity, um, there's a study that uh, was done in Canada um, that analyzing the uh, the climate impact of dams, and because so much land is drowned and so many plants are drowned, um, that the uh, actually the emissions for hydroelectricity range somewhere between a natural gas power plant and a coal power plant, uh, and that's not even counting the biodiversity damage from damming seventy uh, percent of the rivers in the world and and. Uh, all the freshwater, most of the freshwater habitat on Earth being being the river freshwater habitat being 
impacted. So, um, you know, there's no easy, there's no magic energy way out. Um, but we're not thinking in terms of, we're not thinking systemically. We're not thinking holistically. If we were going to design for a world in which we were happier and had less, less economic growth, we might begin to think about what's it like to live in community? How are we going to get to know our neighbors again? How are we going to break down these barriers? What does that look like? How are we going to deal with Flint, Michigan, where we're from, or the other Flints, and think, and, and instead of waiting for the next uh, poisoning disaster, how are we going to plan to have, you know, central communities in which people uh, can live safely and have safe water? Uh, how are we going, as we move away from, instead of having billions of electric cars and millions more plane trips, which it's one of the fastest growing climate impacts, you know, when are we going to build the rail system uh, that brings us into the modern world in the United States in which we could all, instead of having to fly or take a private car, could walk out our door and take a nice, comfortable train trip across the country. Um, there's so much to be done when you flip the paradigm around that could fall under um, taking care of the economy and taking care of people and moving towards a, a more sustainable a version of what we have. Um that we're just it's just not not on the table um right it needs to be on this discussion needs to happen and including the larger context which we're going to be carrying forward with more films and more works of you know we we're going to have a big problem we're we're facing a huge bottleneck that we have just the, the pandemic is the tip of the iceberg uh with what we're facing coming down the pike and if we don't begin to get together now um you know, we, we may lose, you know, that's why it was so important to get rid of Trump. You know, once civilization unravels to a certain point, you lose the option to reorganize. Mm. You lose the option. Mm. Uh, and that's why I strongly supported, um, you know, electing uh, Biden Harris, um, even though some good people will, you know, think it's all too late for everything. I personally don't want to see the time in which um, civilization begins to unravel because I think not only will we go down, we'll take everything down with us. So it's really important right now to get our heads around um, the true nature of the time we're in. And even that these temporary things we can all do, um, you know, beginning with, I don't have to mow my yard because I want it to become back and, you know, in habitat. And, uh, you know, so, you know, when you say that this pandemic is the tip of the iceberg, meaning that we can't see the rest of the iceberg. It's because it's below the water. And so we're on the ship that's about ready to go right into it if we haven't gone into it already. Um, this isn't the last virus, is it? And this isn't the last virus or other um, biological, ecological thing that is going to happen. I mean, this one that we're living through, and some, a quarter million Americans, are dying through it. Over a million people around the world have died from it. But it all it all started in a place where humanity had somehow disrupted the habitat of creatures that had to move, had to go elsewhere. And in the process, I mean you can do a better job of explaining this, Ozzy or or Jeff, but uh why do we have COVID nineteen? And what's the connection to the way that we have shit on this planet, all of us, um, all countries, um, but especially in the first world? Yeah, it's that's one of the, the things that's been conflated is that the um, the um, 
you know, COVID-19 was, is by most scientists believed to have come from um, species that were eaten for bushmeat, species that are persecuted, uh, bats, pangolins uh, are the two likely suspects. Um, their habitat has been destroyed. And we don't talk enough about how organisms in destroyed and stressed habitats uh, through logging and agriculture and poaching uh, emit diseases into humans. And this is the story over and over again. And we've been able to fight them back until now. But there will be more. But there's so many other tripwires if we don't keep it together that we're not even thinking about. There are, There's a fly uh, that used to ravage all the livestock in uh, the southern U.S. and in uh, Central America uh, that would actually literally just eat their, their larvae, would eat the skin away of all the livestock. And it was a horrible problem that nobody knows about. Um, and that fly is now kept at bay. Uh, I think around the Panama Canal or somewhere by teams of people that just keep that, uh, that basically that disease, that pest from coming back up north and ravaging livestock. There are diseases we're keeping at bay from our crops constantly. And there are other diseases waiting for our guard to be let down to leap forth, uh, into humanity because we're, that's, you know, that's what nature, when nature is stressed, that's what happens. There are, but there are other tripwires. You know, uh, if a pandemic shuts things down enough, Ozzy, how many people does it take? How many experts to keep a nuclear power plant going? Oh, like a hundred. And and these experts have PhDs and they're highly trained and over years. And it's, um, you know, it's not just like five or six people that go to run the plant. It's it's, it's dozens and dozens of people. The nuclear waste that we have from nuclear power. I don't think that anybody's ever dealt with the nuclear waste we currently have. But what happens when not enough people show up because of the, the second pandemic to work at the power plant? You know, it's just, um, there are many. Yeah. We got lucky have- here in some ways because people, there were still enough people that could work in the electrical plants, the nuclear power plants, whatever, the water plants, um, b- because they were essential workers and, and a number of them got sick and a number of them died, but not enough to where we could still turn on the faucet, we could still turn on the light switch, and and the next virus, the next pandemic, because because of the of the way we treat this planet, the next one we may not get so lucky, and and the kind of when you talk about the unraveling that could take place, and I'm not closing out this podcast trying to depress people or thinking, oh, geez, Mike. Can we just get through this one first? But it's like, it's all connected. That be, And because we've got such a weak and, and wrong-headed environmental movement that's in bed with money that we are not dealing with, we're so, we're, we're, there's this misdirect and there's a number of misdirects and we're not looking at the things, you know, after we've lost a million people or 2 million people or 10 million people, is somebody going to stand around and say, well, you know, at least, you know, we just, we got to keep working on these solar panels. You know, no one's going to be thinking about that at that point. Cause we should have been thinking about what could we have done to save those 5 million lives or whatever, you know, because no, no windmill was going to save anybody from COVID-19 it's there's a larger thing that's going on in terms of how we've treated the planet, treated the species on the planet. And, and it's not just one thing. And yet we've all been, we've all had our heads turned to just one thing. And that 
I just, I feel awful saying all this, but my friends who are listening, please, um, uh, no greater challenge faces us and um, we'll get through this pandemic. This virus will end. Um, it'll end in the non-mega countries first because they believe in science and wearing masks and things like that, but we will end it. But it won't be the end of this, will it, Jeff, Ozzy? This won't be the end. And I don't, you know. Well, it's, we, you know, not to go on, but, you know, I mean. I just, <laughs> yeah, I know, just take us out. Take me out of this, uh, the funk I just went into. But, just, but let me reemphasize for those who haven't, maybe not have already seen the movie or know, you know, right now, since the movie's come out, they're, they're talking about another hundreds, you know, hundreds of square miles of solar panels. And. Um, you know, one of the solar arrays in California is going to endanger the last of the desert tortoise. They're, they're, they're talking about moving a lithium mine here to America, and it's going to wipe out the last of some endangered plants. It's like, we need, we need to grow up and get an off switch as humans. And you're, there's in British Columbia, which you see briefly in the movie, they're actually logging uh, old growth forests for biofuel to be turned into wood chips. It's like, you know, this is we're not I'm not just spitting in the wind when I'm saying the technology and, and this this is running us off the cliff. But no, the good news is, and I'll for those of you in despair or having a hard time with this, as you go through the switch to seeing everything in a different way, um, I just you know, Ozzy again, maybe you can reflect, but it's just you know, never do you feel more alive once you accept that our fate is it's 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 do or die. And that's just the time we're in the situation we're in. And I feel better than I've ever felt in in decades. I was so depressed when I was first discovering this stuff, I couldn't stand it. I mean, honestly, I could understand why some people would want to jump off a bridge. And but the process of learning and doing has totally transformed my life. Um, and Ozzy, you know, there was a time when it, you were probably having a hard time too, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy journey for me either. But I went to a very similar experience where eventually having. Step being able to step back and have perspective on the whole thing is refreshing in a way, and also makes me cherish the you know the living world. Um, uh, that that that's the reason I got started uh, in any of this research to begin with is my uh, long-seated interest in in the natural world and, and and in nature. Yeah, every sunset seems so much more precious now. Every bird that's at my feet, or every uh, little green thing of grass, is just um, you know I, I experience it in a different way. Okay, I, I, I feel better now. Listen, that's beautiful, Jeff, actually, and I know and I know you live like that, and I think uh, uh, all of us we're smart enough here to figure this out and we're smart and we're and we we need to develop that off switch and we need to we need to get with it here. I think everybody listening to this believes that. If you have not seen Jeff's film Planet of the Humans, please watch this movie. It is available if you're listening to this here on Tuesday, November uh, 17th, today and tomorrow, November 17th and 18th, Tuesday and Wednesday. These are the last two days that you can watch it for free on my site, Rumble, Rumble um, here on the YouTube, on my YouTube site, Rumble. Go to Rumble on YouTube. It's there. It says official movie or whatever it says. So, you know, you watching the right thing and uh, and watch this it's 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 less than 100 minutes if you've already seen it and you'd like to watch it again 
because there's so much information in this film. You can do that for free in these next two days. If you're listening to me from November 19th on, um, you can't watch it for free, but you can go to iTunes or Prime or Vudu or Google, uh, Google Play or, uh, or YouTube movies and watch it for like $3.99, really cheap. Just rent it. Watch this film, Planet of the Humans. I'm the executive producer of it. Um, I um, am so grateful to Jeff and Ozzy and Angie and everybody else who worked on this uh, film for doing it. I can't wait to see what you're going to do next because uh, uh, I'm ready for the ruckus. <laughs> and so we've got to shake this up. Man, This is we don't have a choice at this point. So look for this film. Anything else you want to add, Ozzy or Jeff, to this? Did I, did I get all the uh, platforms correct and uh, where people can uh, find Planet of the Humans and anything else that you want to offer along those lines? Yeah, yeah, I think you got all of them in there. Uh, we also are on Vimeo, uh, and people oh, yeah. can always go to planetofthehumans.com oh, yeah, and yeah, see yeah. where we're expanding because we've really been fortunate to just have uh, so much, such a wide variety of places take the film. Yes, for those of you listening in other countries, Vimeo, is the way to go because you may get blocked on some of these uh, platforms, you know, how they have the regional <laughs> blocks. But uh, Vimeo is good. It's good to go there on uh, on, on Vimeo. Um, so you can you can watch it there. Uh, Jeff, any uh, final words? Um, just, yeah, we're working on getting um, uh, the film available in multiple languages. And uh, I know some people have reached out to us to help with that, and I think that's coming to fruition. Um, but Good. Uh, you know, we live in dangerous times, but we live in exciting times and, um, you know, find somebody you can, uh, talk to about this, this, and, uh, you know, if you have any thoughts, write us, uh, you can write us through the website and, uh, we'd love to hear, uh, your comments and thoughts because no one is, no one is smart enough to do this alone. We all need each other. And that's got, got to be what, how we behave going forward. Well, thank you both of you for coming on my podcast again. Thank all of you out there. Thank you. Yes. Oh, no, please. Uh, everybody who's watching or will watch this film, thank you for doing that. Please share it uh, with others. Uh, um, we don't have much time. Uh, we we got rid of Trump. Hey, if we can do that, come on. Uh, what are the other possibilities? So, uh, so thank you. So, anyways, thanks again. Jeff, Ozzy, everybody. Our executive producer is Basil Hamden. Our editor and sound engineer is Nick Quaz. I am Michael Moore. This is Rumble. I feel